0: Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me, Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara. Today we have Mungi Ingomane joining us, as well as a special guest, her mother, Reverend Nantombi, who will join us briefly. Mungi is an author, a public speaker, and a human rights activist. She's the granddaughter of Archbishop Desmond Tutu and patron of the Tutu Foundation UK. She never felt that her family forced her to follow in their footsteps but rather that their hope for justice and human dignity for all was passed down to her. Her book, Everyday Ubuntu, Living Better Together the African Way was released in 2019. And since then, she has returned to advocacy full-time, passionate about human rights, specifically the advancement of women and girls, the protection of refugees and the liberation of the Palestinian people. The Reverend Nantombi Naomi Tutu knew from early on in life that the one thing she would never be is a priest. However, after years spent as a development consultant, educator, and race and gender activist, she accepted her call to ordain ministry. She is an Episcopal priest who most recently was associate rector at All Saints Beverly Hills. The challenges of growing up black and female in apartheid South Africa have been the foundation of Naomi's life as an activist for human rights. Those experiences taught her that our whole human family loses when we accept situations of oppression and how the teaching and preaching hate and division injure us all. Growing up the daughter of has offered Naomi Tutu many opportunities and challenges in her life. Perhaps one of the greatest challenges she has struggled with is the call to ministry. This call refused to be silenced, even as she carried her passion for justice into other fields. The call to preach and serve as an ordained clergy person continued to tug at her. Finally, in her 50s, she responded to the call and went to seminary hi guys (laughs) hi how are you we are well well thanks i wanted to jump into the grief aspect of how that relates to mental health and how we all process grief grief has become i think an everyday emotion for many since march 2020 that would maybe never even think of themselves as someone that would be grieving every day feeling sadness or feeling a sense of loss. For instance, I have a really close friend who called me and said, Katie, I'm depressed. I thought I'd never be depressed, but now, you know, I'm grieving my old life. I'm grieving sort of what was. And obviously different generations and different cultures grieve differently. So I'm curious to hear what you have found, Naomi, and how you felt you were allowed to grieve sort of, or, or how you wanted to grieve. And if that was something that you felt even as a, a woman, you could do of everything that you've gone through.
1: So, you know, with my dad, it it was a strange thing in that I quit my job last September and moved back to South Africa in October. And so I was able to be with him on a daily basis and see the decline, right? And so by the time he died, I think I had already started grieving. So I had started the process while he was still alive, recognizing the ways that he had changed, the ways that, you know, he he was weaker, he got tired. He wasn't the sharp person that I had known growing up. And so I think that I started probably in November. I really, started my grieving process. And so I felt as though by the time he died, I'm actually glad that I had started early because once he died, my grief was really pushed aside by the the stuff that was going on around the funeral, the fact that it was a state funeral, the fact that, you know, people were in and out of the house constantly, in a way that was different from, you know, in South Africa, that's the reality when somebody dies, people are in and out of the house constantly. But normally, in our culture, it is People gather. The story is told over and over and over, which is a, a healing process, right. right? About how the person died, where you were when it happened, and where you heard. And we keep hearing and telling the story over. And this with my dad, that was not the case because you know people were coming and wanting to be on camera. So, oh, so um, so yes, yeah, must so the have been grief, really difficult. It was, yeah. So the post-death grief. Felt like no, I didn't have the wherewithal to grieve in the way that I wanted. I would have wanted to grieve
0: just because of who your father was,
1: right? Feel like, right.
0: I, and just the way it is in South Africa, or do you think that had to do with more that you were saying it was like a state funeral of?
1: I think it was the fact of, of a partly of a state funeral because of who my dad was. Yes. that we had so many people who came and really you know, in our culture, when people come to a grieving family, they come to grieve with the family. They pray, they sing, they, you know, we didn't have that. We had people coming and we had media across the road and people were coming before they even came into the house. They were talking to the media. Just like doing they sound the light. house. Right, yeah. right. So it felt like, it felt as though this was not the funeral of our culture. This was not the grieving period that
0: our culture normally allows a family. Right. It, it, I would think you'd have to have grieve twice or three times, where <laughs> it's like now you have to grieve with the public, now grieving in the family, and then you, just the grief that you have to have on your own.
1: You know, there were, I don't want to make it sound as though there were no people who cared about
0: us. There oh, no, so many no, no, people, I don't think that's
1: how it sounds. There were so many people who cared about us. People, friends, family from around the world who sent messages, people who really did come, who brought food, Who, you know, that there were people, there were people caring for us. But it was a grieving process that was very much in the public eye. And, and so it was different from my other experiences of death in my family, my grandparents, aunts, cousins, you know, it was a, it was a different experience. Um, And I don't think, I mean, I think that I had thought about that, at some level, you know, that I thought I knew that it was going to, we knew for a long time that it was going to be a state funeral, we knew that daddy was a world figure, so we knew that it was not going to be exactly like funerals that we were used to having. But I don't think that I was prepared for the extent to which our family's grief often got pushed aside in the the planning for what is going to be seen in the world.
0: Right. And
2: I think that's because it's grief. And you're like, surely someone is not going to use this occasion to make it about themselves, like, a, like, we've all had to grieve something. So of course, no one's going to do this. And I think I was sort of under the same thought process as mom. But I mean, months before my husband had said to me, what are your thoughts? How do you want us to proceed when it does happen? And there are people that act unfavorably. And I was like, I mean, surely they're not going to do it. But he was like, I think people will. I think people will act unfavorably and you should be prepared and know how you're going to respond or not respond. And that's, you know, a weird thing to think about, but like, thank goodness that it was something that he brought up.
0: That sounds like me, like something I would say. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are in the Umbuti way of thing. I'd be like, no, people are I mean, I, I guess maybe you're used to it because you had to share him with the public, right? So you're mm-hmm. used to that in some ways, but you thought what you're saying was you thought, no, that w- isn't going to happen with this. Right, right. Yeah. And so then how, how do you feel like between the two of you, your grief process is, is different?
1: So, so the funny thing is, is that when she wrote the article and said that the first thing she did was do laundry, yeah. that she went to practical... I think that's, that's when normal. I, that's when I said, Oh, you're definitely my child. <laughs> because, because that was my as soon as we got there, my thing was we need to make sure that everybody knows. We need to do, you know, all of the things that needed to be done. We need to go to the grocery store and get stuff like yeah. this and this and this. so so in that way, grief for both of us, I think, is comes out in caring making sure that things are the right way things are in order um, before falling to pieces and I mean I I don't think I have fallen to pieces in fact since since my dad died I think as I said because I started the process um, while he was still alive Mm -hmm. I think that I had nights when I would be crying just you know from the pain that i was seeing him going through while he was alive so that since he has died i've obviously i've had times when i've just cried but i haven't had a sense of i feel like i'm just just completely i out of control in my grief and i expected to have more of that in for me and i'm i'm still waiting that maybe you know maybe it is once I'm settled back in my own life, in my own home, in my own space, that that it becomes more real. You know, Mungi's got a birthday coming up, and she was just saying, oh my goodness, this will be the first time that Kulu hasn't called me to say happy birthday on my birthday. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's right, that You know, he was really, he was really good about always calling all of us on our birthdays, us on Mother's Day or, you know, um, so it's, so I think that that's going to be.
2: Yeah, the year of first, I think is the.
1: Right.
0: Everyone. That's always hard. When is your birthday? April 5th. Oh, okay. So soon. Mm -hmm. Right. I Mm -hmm. mean, I, my grandfather is still. Alive, which is amazing. He's 99, but he's, oh my uh, God. yeah. <laughs> and I, what I always found was it, or still is difficult when I when I visit him. Sometimes he's so sweet with my grandmother, and it's it it just really warms my heart. Well, I'll start crying, and and then he's like, "What's wrong?" And I'm like, "It's allergies." Like I don't because I don't want to bring him down. Yeah. So it, it's sort of I would always have to remove myself from the room and what you're saying, like that grieving kind of to myself. And then I remember I was mm-hmm. telling my therapist this and he said, why don't, why didn't you say to him, right. like, I'm sad because, you know, you're getting old. And I was like, I don't know, but I, I guess maybe we feel like we can't, or I didn't want to bring everybody down at the table. Right. And I, you know, right. I think everybody also always expects me to be like the jokester and kind of keep things upbeat. And so it's interesting how we, I, I, I don't know why I, I didn't say that and because everyone should be allowed to grieve publicly or privately as they see fit, as what, see what fit. you're comfortable with. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and and I think it's normal too for women and men when you guys are both talking about you with the laundry or you doing grocery shopping. When my, when my grandfather started to get sick, my dad became like obsessive about cleaning the kitchen because it was sort of, he could have control over the kitchen, but not yep. his mm-hmm. grandfather's health. So it's normally, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And I was like, the dishes are clean. You know, like, it's just like kept washing, <laughs> kept washing, kept washing. And I was like, it's okay. Right. I think that's quite normal. And it's in in a way, it seems like generationally, ha- is there a huge difference?
2: I don't think so. I think we have right. very yeah. similar ways of dealing where I, I do think the difference is, and this, the reason this stuck out to me is because I think I was like 21 and At the time, my best friend's father died, and he was like a second father. And I think the week after the funeral, like maybe the funeral was on a Thursday or something, and then Monday she went back to work. And I went to my mom and I was like, Oh my God, why would she be back at work? Like, why would her work expect her to be back there? And my mom was like, That is like how it's done in the West, you know, after the funeral, people expect you like. I see it as it can be closure because you, you know, you're sort of paying your respects, but they expect you to like have that closure and return to life. And I've always said to friends when they lose someone like after the funeral is, I think the worst part, because at least with the funeral, there's a lot of noise. Yeah. So you're not really actually grieving. You're just in the noise and everyone's checking on you and everyone's cooking for you but after the funeral is when it gets like eerily silent and people have stopped checking on you because they've returned to their life. But like, this is a whole new normal for you. So Mm -hmm. of course you're not returning to your life, Mm -hmm. but here you're expected to.
0: That's true. People will have abortions and and be back at work, like at four, like midday. And And like like no
2: time to grieve.
0: No. In America, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like when are you going to be here? You know, I mean, most jobs, people maybe changed a little since COVID, right? Because people are Mm -hmm. more wanting to have a job with purpose and be more, there's more humanity in certain fields. Mm -hmm. But I think that's absolutely true what you're saying that, especially in in America, it's like, you know, back to work or sometimes you don't even hear about it. Like a month later, I'll say, oh my gosh, why didn't you tell me your sister passed away? right you know, i'll I'll hear like someone that i'm working with or should and i'm like why are you even here like i don't you know and they're like oh i didn't want to bother everyone yeah
1: right yes the, i remember i had that kind of shock with a good friend of mine and who told me months later that i mean we were not in the same city anymore but that yeah. he told me months later that oh he, my mother died that's like, oh my god i i would have told you if my mother right died. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, and and so yeah. So I think that there is this idea that grief that that is a very Western thing. That grief is a very private, supposed to yes. be a private thing. Where in our culture, it is not expected to be private. And um, in fact, I was talking to somebody, and they were they were reminding me that um, when we were growing up, um, when when somebody in your family died. Then you would wear a, a black button on your left or your right arm, okay. uh, depending whether it was a man or a woman in the family who had died, and you would wear that button for at least a month oh, where, wow. so that people would know. So when people see you with a black button on your sleeve, they know That you are somebody in mourning, and therefore, people take extra care in how they talk to you, how they deal with you, what their expectations are of you. And I mean, we don't do that very much anymore in South Africa, even, but that, even that, you know, that public acknowledgement that somebody who is grieving is in a different state of mind, in a different place in their lives than the rest of us, even when they've gone back to work or whatever that they are still recognized as being somebody in a different space in their life
2: who needs a bit more grace right yeah
0: right yeah there's a distraction I mean that's it's interesting you said because I know it, with the Jewish culture it's like sitting shiva which I think is for mm-hmm. is it a week or 10 days everyone's in black
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I guess but you don't leave the house so it's, it's still right. what you're saying of pri- private you know, mm-hmm. a privacy that you're all together grieving. I don't think that's, the more I think about it, it's just not, it's not a healthy way, honestly. When you, you mm-hmm. know, you should be able to, obviously no, no one can just be out of control. Right. Like in public day in, day out, but that's a great custom where if you have a button and then people just know. But right. I wonder why do you think that stopped in in South Africa or just like fell out of fashion just
1: I don't I don't even know actually I had forgotten that we had done that until this friend reminded me and I was like oh my gosh I remember when my grandfather died my dad and um, his siblings and my mom you know the family the adult family members all had the buttons on their clothes and I was like oh my god I had forgotten about that
0: wow what's been the most helpful thing to each other that you guys have done for each other in a mm-hmm. grieving process
1: so i mean the children uh, mungi and mpilo and my my nephew especially Tabiso, the three of them were really i felt like i had there was somebody who had my back during that week of craziness when yeah. you know that my children were constantly coming to check are you okay And when somebody did something weird, they would, they were just standing there around me that I just knew that they were there. And I had not, I had not asked them to be that on top of keeping track of is mom, is mom okay. Um, And that meant so much to me that they I mean, they, would do, they were running errands as well. I mean, they were the ones that we were sending to do different stuff, but, but emotionally for me, knowing that in the midst of all of this, which was a crazy week, that one of the three of them would be always coming to check at, you know, giving an hour or, you know, every couple of hours, are you doing okay? And if something did go off, and we had a number of things that went off in the thing that they were right there by my side and just saying, just tell us yeah. what we need to do. We're here. And that meant everything to me. Like your
0: bodyguard. bodyguard. Right.
1: Emotional <laughs> my, bodyguard. My brother,
2: my brother was definitely a bodyguard. <laughs> Aww. He was like ready. He's ready to throw hands. Okay. No, yeah, I think mom wise what was helpful is that I kept sort of being upset that I was like sleeping all the time and still waking up exhausted and so she's always been really good about reminding me to sort of you're giving everyone else grace like why don't you also extend that to yourself and and that's definitely something I needed someone to tell me but overall I don't know if this is helpful for everyone but my family's very funny. So just like the jokes that people were still able to make in the midst of all of this was very helpful. Like we just laughing with my cousins and my brother it was just like very helpful. Like we needed, we needed some funny moments and mm-hmm. yeah, like roasting mm-hmm. each other was definitely helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't ever lose your sense of humor. Right. Even, and it is hard in times when someone's really going through something. Like my friend who's, she's in remission, but she has stage four cancer. And she's just like, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I need you to be there to keep it light. And so I I feel like I have to be, and then I go in the other room and cry. That's yeah. like my go-to, but like, so I know that yeah. that's, she really appreciates it. And, and it's mm-hmm. funny because sometimes people will be like, well, you can't say that, or they've said things to me. And I'm like, no, that's actually, her name's Michelle and she'll say, no, I, I want, I need Katie's spirit like that here. If
2: she's told you what she needs, that's of course what you have to do. Yeah,
0: like if she said, I need, I go, like whatever. So it's, right. um especially I think when someone's in, in actual physical pain too, which I know he was, and it's, it's, you really want to be as accommodating as you can mm-hmm. to, what, what they need and everyone is different. He
2: was always very funny, even though a lot of his jokes were like repeated over and over again. <laughs> um, I mean, even when it came to, you know, it's it's a weird situation to be in a life where people are telling you about them planning your memorial. Mm-hmm. And so even when people, you know, would, would message him about like, these are the plans, you know, one of his responses was like, oh, that sounds so fun. Wish I could be there. Like, <laughs> Of course, we can't like stop being funny if that's like how he was, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. That sounds like something I would say. I'd be like, "That <laughs> sounds great." <laughs> no, I, I wrote down his nine things that you talk about, and I was like, "He really. I wish I had known him because it's <laughs> true. You can't lose that. Humor is is really important, and you and you have to keep it there. And and when it's not, it's like." especially in a moment like that where someone is, you know, going possibly to the other side, you have to, I just think it's, it's not helpful when everyone makes everything so dire and serious, when it already is, right? Like we're, we're right. talking about things that are very grim, right. but right. you can still lose your sense. You don't have to lose your sense of humor. Exactly. He's I mean, like, I'd love to be, <laughs> can you zoom me like for my view?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do always say to people that when you find yourself in a, a situation of grief or of sorrow, or as Mungi said, you know, where you find yourself then judging yourself, um, which is especially as women, that is, you know, that's where we, that's how we've been socialized to yeah. to be really judgmental of our need for care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, I always say to her and to everybody, I say, you know, if it's hard for you, just think of what would you say to a good friend of yours who came up to you and shared what you're what you're feeling right now and you know you would say to your friend you know take care of yourself sleep when you need to eat you know walk take whatever but that you so then so then I said so then pretend you're talking to your friend when you talk to yourself and that you know that is I think for us as women a starting point in recognizing that care of ourselves is not a selfish thing, but is a an important part of being human.
0: Yeah, self care, which was one of these right. things. But it is true, and we always like I'm like, oh, I don't, I can't take a nap right now. But if someone else came to me, I'd say, oh, you should sleep. Right. Have some exactly. Soap, go, get a bath, you know. And exactly. Nine, you know. Exactly. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. <laughs> Thank so you for sharing. You so love you. Bye. I love you both. So now it's, so are you guys both then is she, cause you're in Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So how long has mom been there?
2: She has just moved here. Um, oh, my brother moved here in January and then my mom has just moved her herself so everyone's following me i'm quite a trendsetter <laughs> now
0: why did you end up in atlanta was
2: it it was actually really random i lived all over um, uh-huh. and was living back at nashville where i was sort of raised and my husband was between new york and san francisco and decided he wanted to move to the u.s not to the u.s to we wanted to live together because we had been long distance and so we made like a, a spreadsheet of pro cons for different cities. And one of the things was needed to be a good airport, preferably with Delta, Atlanta, Eastern time zone. Very good. And then I just said, I wanted a city with a little more diversity than Nashville and Atlanta was not far from Nashville, but way more diverse. And it, it just kind of happened. We like right. came for
0: a day, visited, saw a few apartments. we like, all right, we're going to move there. That's so I've only spent maybe I think a night or two when I drove cross country in Atlanta. I've wanted to visit. My cousin lives in Nashville. I've never been. Well, you'll so have to. I know to do it is really kind of like a white music scene there, mm-hmm. or like that's predominant. It's a predominant. How long were you in Nashville? Twenty years. Really? Okay. I, mean, I don't. I, I never asked anybody moved, your age. You literally we moved there like you. when
2: we when I was like seven, I think. Okay. So and then I like left for boarding school and college right. and my masters, but like then went back between those things, okay. so it's been a long time.
0: Right, and so how yeah. long have you guys been in Atlanta now?
2: That's also a weird answer because all of 2021, we were away, we put our stuff in storage and traveled. Oh, that's um, nice. So technically we moved here June 2019, but then okay. we spent an entire year not here.
0: Did um, you just, just road a trip?
2: Bird. No, we um, spent some time in Mexico. We spent some time in South Africa to be around my family spent some time in the UK to be around his family. And then the company he works for is in Portugal. So we spent some time there. So that's great. Yeah. I, it was a great year. Cannot complain.
0: Yeah. I know. I can't complain. It sounds awful, (laughs) but I can't complain either about like, that's when I launched, we got everything ready for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a, I mean, for me, it was a blessing in disguise. COVID. I totally understand that. Like there were, there were Things that came out of it, like certain growth
2: and, and projects. And yeah, it was like a, a birthing time for a lot of people, I think.
0: It was like, obviously, horrible loss. and hor- But for many people that I know, like you're saying, they either left old careers, realized mm-hmm. new ones. Us establishing this, uh, no one would have been available if COVID wasn't going on. Right. You know, like Allie, who you know, you know my, my mm-hmm. partner, and then even Nilo... And Steve and all these people that worked on this really for a year before we, this, no one would have been available. And there's, I think everybody, like we're saying, or like you said earlier with the laundry, you have to kind of have a job or you go crazy when you're in any kind of grieving or some sort of something really tragic is happening. I think you want to task many people Mm -hmm. that are that, you know, built like that. So that's, that's really good that you guys have that time. And also that you're still together because many people broke up (laughs) pre
2: COVID. It was weird because we did two years long distance. So I was like, anything's possible, people. Anything's possible. And, you know, everyone's always like, don't joke about breaking up or divorce. And I'm like, if we can't joke about it, we are not going to yep. be prepared no, for everyone it. Like, in the
0: no jokes. Yeah. Like, I'm
2: like, we can make jokes about divorce guys. Divorce happens. Like yeah. it is very possible. Yeah. So like pretending it's this like thing we're never going to speak of, like is not going to stop it from happening. So like, let's just, you know, right. Be light on our feet about it.
0: Maybe they're on the verge of divorce. Maybe that's yeah. why. <laughs>
2: I'm like, just if everyone at the table understands that anything's possible, we're all going to be a little more, you know, intentional, I think.
0: All right. Well, I have so many questions for you. Are you ready? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Your book, this came out in 2019, Everyday Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. Your grandfather described it as to be one with Ubuntu is to walk in the world as one who recognizes the infinite worth of everyone with whom he or she comes into contact. So it is simply a way of behaving. It is indeed a way of being. How can you practice that if you have like a lot of bitterness, or if you're hung up on something, like I'm curious of how in the, you know, I've read different excerpts where I get, yeah, of course you have to put yourself in someone else's Mm -hmm. shoes. And, but is there a way that you can explain this? If someone is really like, just has an obstacle every day they're up against, whether it's someone in their life, right? Family member, maybe they're they have a difficult child, they take care of a difficult animal, something like how, what is the best way to really like put this on? Like if it was a jacket?
2: I think, and I'm, I think I'm saying this from probably personal experience. I think the best way would be to start with the sort of what we discussed with my mom is granting the grace to yourself. And so acknowledging that Mm -hmm. Ubuntu is not about being perfect. It's about sort of, as you said, every day trying, you know, I think I've said to people, the way that Ubuntu looks for me will change from day to day, depending on who I'm interacting with. And so it's not about being this sort of prescriptive thing where I'm like, well, Katie, like what you just did there, like you did not practice Ubuntu the right way. Like, I don't want it to be that sort of, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that like harsh thing right. where prescriptive necessarily like a religion or like, you need to like follow these pill. Like right. I want it to be that people acknowledge that they could mess up figure out like what that mess up was and then be like okay so next time i won't do this like why did i jump down your throat why was i so defensive oh it's because you said something that really hit at my core but it has nothing to do with you it has to do with like what happened in my childhood Mm -hmm. now that i know that can i explain that to you and next time if someone else says something of like the same nature I know that like this has to do with my childhood, not this person. I'm not going to jump down their throat. I think it's about the like, you know, taking a step back, but not necessarily like getting angry at yourself all the time. And when you get angry at other people, like, why did you do that? Like, what, what about what they said triggered you? Did it actually have anything to do with them? Or is this, most of these things are all personal. We're all pretty, you know, like we all have narcissistic qualities. So like a lot of it is literally just about us.
0: No, I was thinking about, I don't know if you watched the Oscars last night. Did. I didn't.
2: I woke up. <laughs> well, that, I but turned I it
0: off. And then all of a sudden, like, I, you know, cause I, I wanted, I was working on, like, I was like, okay, I have to send these questions to Allie and reorganize. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at Instagram and I thought, and then I was like, oh, I wonder what Umbudu would think about this situation. Yeah. Okay. It was unfortunate, but yeah. it's, I think what you're saying is, is really important where that it's not. And I think many people that have written, you know, books on whether it's Gandhi or like practicing kindness or, you know, Mm -hmm. I am you, you are me. It doesn't mean you have to walk around all day like namaste to people that are running you over in the road. It's more of what you're talking about, being kind to yourself, like forgiving to yourself. And kind of, it's like taking a breath before and like think before you speak. I don't know, that's how I feel when I was reading through no. some of these things, right? It,
2: def- it definitely is. And think about it. Like there's all this sort of research or whatever that says like we can pick up on the energy of how someone feels about themselves. Like when we talk about parents and their kids, it's like your kids know right. that you are talking horribly about yourself in your mind because this is like the energy you put out around them. So yeah. if we were putting out this opposite energy about, you know, like, all right, Moongi, you really messed up there. Like that was rude. You probably shouldn't have said that, but it's not the end of the world. You can explain to this person, you can apologize. And then from there, like you just show them from your actions that like your apology was legit and everyone's going to keep it moving. Then wouldn't, you know, we would all, I think we'd all be a little more patient. And of course it sounds like people always say, it sounds kind of like nice and willy-nilly, but I'm like, I don't know. There are a lot of moments where I, have some choice words for people and Mm -hmm. me not saying them says a lot about my like restraint and respect for myself because I'm probably going to regret it even though I know it was a really good burn and like would have put them in their place you know
0: well I think it's also like do you want to waste your energy on Mm -hmm. this person right like maybe you're you want to be the bigger person right or say sometimes I do
2: want to waste my energy and I want to be really petty okay but I get it yeah.
0: When do you decide to be and then not? Like <laughs> <laughs> it's like Hamlet, to be or not to be, petty. Because
2: <laughs> it's hard. Like some, it's it's hard. I think what helps is is then the people you have around you. Right. So having my mom and specific close friends and my husband, people who like remind me who I am, then I'm like, all right, I don't need to be petty in this moment. If I did not, I think we the live community. in a world where everyone's, yeah, where everyone's like, no, I've done this on myself, whatever. I'm like, you can learn to lean on people. It's okay to lean on people. We, we're not all islands. So I think like we should be okay with saying like, when I need this, like this person is there to mm-hmm. remind me that of my worth when I'm feeling down. And, and so I think that sometimes is the difference between me being petty or not. Cause sometimes they'll say, well, like I didn't read it that way. Moonby. Like, I, I think you were like adding some tone to this person's statement that is not there. And I'll be like, okay, maybe you're right. I can take a moment, you know? And I, and the thing that I say about Ubuntu that may be a little different from other people writing these sort of self-help books and philosophy books is I still think I'm very much learning it along with everyone else I don't think it's something I've mastered and so I feel like I'm literally in the trenches with everyone else like there are good days there are bad days I'm not perfect but I'm at least trying and so I think like if we all try
0: that is literally the best we could do I mean one of the favorite things for me in the book, maybe it's because I've had a lot of mosquito bites in my days where (laughs) you've mentioned that African proverb where it says, if you think you are too small to make a difference, you haven't spent the night with a mosquito. Mm -hmm. But it's really true that everyone, no matter how you big or small or important or your job title, you can make a difference.
2: Absolutely. I, I
0: love that. I feel like I've heard that before, but I just, I, I have whatever type of blood my dad does too, where we are like covered in mosquito bites. Oh. If we we're in any kind of, you know, tropic or like in Atlanta, I'd probably be covered in mosquitoes. So it's a good thing to remember that because, or that you can really make a difference in someone's day that's having a bad day right. by just being kind of, and that it's important to, I think this was maybe something I read that your mom was talking about, but that's even how I grew up watching my dad of how people speak to a waiter or staff or anyone that is underneath them mm-hmm. is so huge and even telling children
2: even how people and, speak to children yes
0: it, yeah, and yeah. you know like or if you're on a date and the guy speaks rude, so i'm like goodbye you know that is really important which yeah, i think is like part the of what is people who exists.
2: can't who can't do anything for them necessarily yes yeah
0: and it's it's just um it's sad that 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 we still see that or i mean at least here like all the time
2: And then again, I don't think that has, like that happens in a vacuum. Like what is that person's self-worth that they feel- It's probably very low. Yeah, that they feel they need to, you know, speak to a person that way. And I know my mom, you know, has this experience because when she was younger, she waited tables And, and so I think she's able to, you know, separate like this person who was acting this way to me, it has nothing to do about with me because like clearly they're unhappy about something else. And so I think that is another aspect of like practicing Ubuntu is that sometimes you just have to like not respond because again, as you said, it's not, is it worth your time? Like, do you really want
0: to waste your time on this? Right. Because it has nothing to do with you. That's a good point too, especially in this day and age of social media, or if someone is attacking you in some way and you know, it's just going to keep going. Why Mm -hmm. is it? worth it giving this person any sort of airtime. Some people like to do that. I have no patience for it.
2: I like I the, the commenting mean things for no reason like it's yeah. never made sense to me, but there's also that quote that someone said like you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to.
0: Oh, that's a good one. It's, it's true. Like,
2: yeah, you don't. Like no. there is not enough time in the day to be attending all the arguments that people like want you to be involved in.
0: My shrink once said like it's not your business what someone else's opinion is of you. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that's a great way to think of it where it's like, well, that's really not my business. Like you are entitled to your opinion right. about me and anything I'm doing, like I'll keep it moving. I'm not going to play into it, you know, Exactly. because it it's just, you kind of know nothing is going to good can come of it. Right. So the nine lessons you refer to that your grandfather taught you, right. Mm hmm humility don't take yourself too seriously which we I think absolutely forgiveness but not forgetting what does that mean to you because I think that's interesting I think it's smart and I think people think forgiveness means like well we'll just throw it out the window what happened and I'd like you to speak on that I think
2: and I know this is a phrase that people used to say all the time and I don't think I understood it until I like had a few like friendship breakups you know like Cause we don't, we
0: don't always talk about those. It's like the breakups. More are painful than love break for it, me.
2: Exactly. And I had a few where they were difficult, but they were also my choice because I felt like I had been like horrendously wronged. And this person like was not understanding what they did. They were apologizing, but it wasn't an apology where I get how I hurt you. It was more of a, I'm apologizing because like, this is really inconvenient that we're like no longer friends. So can we like return to what it was? And then I've, I hit a stage where I was like, we just didn't understand each other. We we grew apart. You did not mean to hurt me in the way you did, but you did. And, and it took you a really long time to understand why I was hurt. And so the fact that you couldn't put yourself in my shoes made it even more painful. Yeah. And so I don't think we need to be friends. I think we need to, you know, move on separately. But I'm not going to hold a grudge you, against you. If I see you, I'm going to be polite. I'm going to say, hi, I'm going to ask how you are because I don't wish you any ill will. Right. But I'm not going to forget that you were unable as a friend of many years to put yourself in my shoes. So you were forgiven, you know, there's not when someone speaks your name, like this sort of like fire in my belly or anything, but I also like, don't need you in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what the sort of like, forgive, but don't forget is it's like, I know what this made me feel like. And so if someone else makes me feel this way, I'm going to remember, and I'm Mm going to know why I'm now upset with this person, because it it reminds me of of something that's happened in the past, but I can forgive you. I'm not going to, you know, it's not something I want to hold over your head and keep bringing up. We just need to like move forward. And that can be separately. And I think sometimes, you know, people say forgive. And then that means like the relationship continues as it was. I don't yeah, think it has to I, I think don't think a relationship can end I think it can end but you yeah. can still have forgiven someone even though you're saying to them this no longer works for me. I don't think we acknowledge that. Like you can say to someone this no longer works for me,
0: but I forgive you. And many times you can say that even in your actions where it's just like I don't have this time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for you or I've had that with some other friend where it's just obvious it's like we obviously have different values, things right. that are different interests and as I've always said, actions speak louder than words in many with relationships way louder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's a good way of explaining it because I think many people, when they think of forgiveness, they think of like, now everything will go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Right. And with you, these instances you're saying with, with friends, non-romantic relationships where you had to cut them off because they weren't probably good for your own mental health or well-being
2: yeah and it's i think
0: i think forgiveness looks that.
2: different for everyone mm-hmm. and it takes time and i do you know he was sort of taught forgiveness on a global scale and i still struggle with like telling people in the book that was a chapter that was like very hard for us to write where we had to talk about forgiveness because I sort of like put a, my foot in the sand and was like, I'm not comfortable writing this, you know, matter of factly unforgiveness because I don't think I can tell a woman who's been assaulted, like she has to forgive her assaulter.
0: Oh yeah, I don't know how people- I I watch a lot of crime documentaries. I know people that have like their or children murdered and they come and meet the guy and they're like, I forgive you. And
2: exactly. And I'm like, so I can talk about like the anecdotes Where my mother and my grandfather have forgiven the people who were architects of apartheid Mm -hmm. for the greater good. And so I will talk about it in that sense and I will tell other anecdotes of there is a woman in in the book who did forgive her assaulters, but I think forgiveness is still another thing that I'm like learning because I'm like, I just don't feel comfortable saying someone like you have to forgive this person that like harmed your body. Like that, that to me Mm -hmm. is something that I find difficult. I think it's easier to speak of when we're speaking of, you know, like these sort of relationship harms and but again it's like it looks different for every single person and it takes time and i think we all have our like different coping mechanisms when we're sort of deciding whether or not we can forgive someone
0: and different triggers for everyone mm-hmm. you know something maybe way more triggering for some someone than it is for you or me mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like it's not one size fits all. And so self care. We were talking about that. Where you this was funny. Where you said he made sure to pray every day, but he may have just been trying to get away from us. Or
2: something. <laughs> he like always kind of looked like he was taking a nap. Okay. Like you know, they'd be like, "Kulu's cool, praying," and you'd like see him in the sunroom, and it's like, I don't, I don't know. You're like he's
0: asleep. He I don't know. He looks real comfortable. <laughs> What do you do for self, like self-care? If you need a sort of timeout. So I love a nap. Can now, really, does nap not affect your? Um, no. Okay. Cause I used to be able to nap more and now I feel like it affects my sleep at night.
2: Oh, I'm, I just love it. I'm just really, I'm really good at napping. sleep better when I nap than when I um, sleep at great. night. I think my subconscious turns off during the day, but at nighttime it's like awake. So I'm doing a lot of work in the night, which is why I need a nap in the yeah. daytime. And then also I have found that I really need sort of like quiet time in the morning and yes. when my husband and I first started living together he like always thought that I was mad at him because I like just wouldn't talk <laughs> <laughs> and then we find, I was like no 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 I just am so used to like having a few hours in the morning where I'm quiet like I, I may be texting yeah I don't have to like use my mouth
0: to communicate words is to oh, his- he mr like chatty Kathy in the morning he is some people are
2: He's not necessarily chatty, catty, but he's like once he's up, he's up, and his leveling is like words of affirmation. So he's like up, and he's like hi, like you look lovely this morning, and I'm like, Shh. like not, not yet, no, just quiet. Like let me listen to a podcast. Let me like, figure out coffee, what the day. Yeah, and like all my medicine,
0: in. I'm like, please, no one talk to me. Yeah,
2: and he's like ready to go chat and I realized like that is what I need in the morning like I need quiet because mm-hmm. it it sort of sets me up for the rest of my day and then I think honestly like an hour of like exercise really helps because I turn off my brain I do like hit and then there's no time to think about anything else I mean, and I can, hit like high intensity interval training so like oh how I was
0: like wait is this some new like so no, I, <laughs> I just go to
2: I just go to berries and
0: okay yeah. so is there I feel like berries is everywhere berries it is everywhere. Okay. It's,
2: at, it's, it's in London, it's in Atlanta. It's at books.
0: I have a friend who is a Barry's bootcamp addict. Like he I
2: mean it's good.
0: Anywhere he is, he is at he he works in fashion. And when he was in Milan, he was at Barry's boot camp. It's become like a joke. Like every he's at Barry's boot camp. Like it's like where's Waldo? Like, where's Barry's boot camp? It's so crazy. I mean, that's awesome. I just, I, I like, yeah. I never thought, because I remember when I first came to LA, it was like an infomercial or something. Like he would mm-hmm. be on there, like doing the, you know, workout. And then now it's just the it's cult. It's around the world. Yeah, it's around the world. This is another great thing. And I think I really want to hear your uh, views on this because people... I think even though it's 2020, you do not know how to debate. Everything becomes an argument Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. everything is a screaming match. And we've really lost, especially in Los Angeles. I don't know about Atlanta, but there is no gray area right now with politics I find Mm -hmm. here, which is exhausting. It's black or white, Democrat or Republican. And I was raised in the way where you always listen to what someone else has to say. And even if you don't agree, you hear it and think, okay, well, that's interesting. This is why I believe this. It's sad to me where that really can just doesn't exist anymore or it's very hard to find. And I feel like it started to go that way with Facebook, right? When that came out Mm -hmm. and then all these uh you know with social media outlets and social outlets where people can say the one liners and they're not in public right right so they they don't have to you know stand behind what they're saying right or just want to say things that are triggering I've always thought that, you know, English people or European people were better at debating than Americans. And I really feel like we've just fallen down where it's just like, it's just a bunch of people just screaming and like, no one's getting anything done. I
2: actually have an English husband who like, is not a fan of debating. Really? Um, That's so I'm like, I'm like always like ready. I think that is true. While also at the same time, we've gotten to a stage where if your argument is based on the dehumanization of my identity. I don't have to debate you. Okay. And Mm -hmm. because I think that my ancestors fought for so much that in 2022, I don't need to debate someone who is the Senator saying that interracial marriage like should be left up to the States. Like, sir, are are you okay? Yeah. Like that, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I had a grandfather who was willing to debate and speak to people who dehumanized his people. Mm -hmm. And so- wow, that takes strength, I think, and courage, and like real self esteem. But I've gotten to a stage where I don't think I necessarily have to have that strength, Mm -hmm. because can you not have an argument that is not based on dehumanizing me? Like, can you just have an argument that is the opposite of mine that has nothing to do with my identity? And I find that like as a woman, and especially as a black woman, a lot of these things, you know, come up against who I am or come up against my mom as, as an immigrant when, you know, she first Mm -hmm. came to the U S. And so in those situations, I've just said, I'm not even willing to debate a person. They're just not going to get anything out of me because I don't know if they see me as fully human. So why? I, someone
0: that's sort of trying to talk about women's rights or black rights in America, like debating that that's not a viable cause to you. I mean,
2: not that it's not a viable cause, that the black experience isn't what we're saying it is. And so, how can someone who does not know the black experience
0: say, yeah.
2: you know, like when someone says racism doesn't exist,
0: the, I, uh, yeah, or it's
2: or it's not as bad as it used to be? It's like, oh, did you used to be black? Like, did yeah. I miss?
0: Well, I just feel like people that say that do not have any black friends. I don't know how else to say it. or I've never dated a black man, you know, or they've never, it's like, okay, you live in a very different world than me. Yeah. You know?
2: And to also then, you know, say it's like not as bad. It's like, it shouldn't be like you want us to be more involved. So shouldn't we have evolved from like where it was horrible? Like it's still pretty horrible for some people. And so, I mean, there are, you know, I've had friends who have like voted a different way before right. and I can like disagree about things. Like there are certain people you vote for, like we're not really going to disagree because I really don't understand where you're coming from at all. Right. And I right. don't think you really care for me at all. But like, you know, I understand that there, there are some things we differ on, but I find in this sort of day and age, a lot of people like are not really like good faith debaters. I don't know yes. if that's what it's like in in LA. What do you mean like, by good faith? They just want sort of chaos.
0: Mm-hmm. They
2: haven't, yeah, they haven't really done, which is what you're saying. They haven't really done any sort of research. I come from a place where people have gone from voting with their parents to voting with their husbands, so it's like you didn't really do anything to decide where you fall in this argument. So I also don't want to debate you because, like, what informed that decision for mm. you? You know, I'm a proponent of having difficult conversations. But I do think that we're allowed to have boundaries when it comes to them with difficult conversations. And so I think that if there are boundaries, it does maybe keep it as a debate instead of an argument. But I've found I'm pretty exhausted when it comes to debating people these days.
0: Yes, because, well, like you're saying, many people aren't. They just have like either no experience or no education in any sort of way. I I don't mean they never went to any school, but no education in that topic or like there's no nuance. I don't know the facts. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, I was always astounded by the ignorance of not just white people. I mean, it would be people from the middle East, all these, all different cultures were so offended five years ago, my ex is black. And you, I mean, it was astounding people, what they would say to you. I don't know if you found that with your husband, when you're a white and black couple, I was just like, I'm sorry, this is not like a porn. Like, you know, we'd have people be like, you guys, what a sexy couple. It's just like, who would not say that? Talk
2: about what our kids will look like. Yeah. It's like, what?
0: Like caramel colored. I'm like, we are caramel colored. Oh my yeah, god, like, like it's just so uncomfortable. And it also is like, this is not like an exhibit at a zoo. You know what no. I mean? Like that's how that's how it's it's making people feel interracial cobbles feel. And it's, I'm all, I'm just like, I, it's like, I have to look at the calendar and like, wait, what year is this? Oh, and this is still happening. Like in 2016 or just that, that was when that happened. And like, but it still happens today. I still have friends that are in mixed relationships and it's still like this, this people say this crazy things. I think maybe because they're uncomfortable or don't know what to say, then just say nothing. I think that's right. Yeah. That's I'd like to tell everybody, like, just say nothing. If you're, seeing like a couple or someone together that you're not used to maybe like just keep it to yourself
2: right yeah everyone feels the need to comment <laughs> yeah everything and like yeah. be and be like a the protagonist like this the whole oscar thing like there are a lot of people commenting on twitter that are like making it about them and i'm like this actually connects to your life in no way shape yes. or form
0: nothing to do with us like, Like, yeah,
2: it's unfortunate. Let it stay with those people and let them figure it out because like our noise is not going to help the situation.
0: No, and that's that's really a, that's an interesting point because not just the situation at the Oscars but everything that happens it's like everybody has to chime in and be the first one even yeah if
2: you say like the wrong thing they're like yeah like the uh, you're spreading a lie like you just have to be the first one to comment
0: a propaganda it's like meanwhile if someone was talking about coal mining like no one would chime in do you know what I mean <laughs> like nobody knows it's like the people it's like someone when I when I used to be in acting and they'd be like everybody loves to give you advice like everyone thinks they're an actor but meanwhile if you said you were a coal miner no one would want to talk about it it's just like that sort of titillation as humans were oh well let me tell you something it's like mm-hmm. no I don't think you are in either of these people's positions to speak no. on what you're saying so it, it's it's also that sort of like you're saying they just want to fight and like the last word like let me get in the last line
2: yeah
0: of and last sentence of what my initiative is not really paying attention to what happened, or if it has anything to do with them. Like the context, the nuance. What I've decided
2: like in this year, I don't always have to be the messenger. There are a lot of things that last year that happened this year that last year I would have been like posting on my Instagram. I have like not posted about anything, about anything happening in the world right now. And nobody is dying because I have not posted, you know? Like I yeah. don't always have to be a voice on something right. because I'm just adding more noise. When I feel like I have something valuable to say that will make a difference, I'll say it, but there are so many messengers in the world that can say something succinctly and sort of sum up where we are and what our humanity is feeling in the moment that like, sometimes I'll have that moment, but it's not mine right now. And so I don't need to be the messenger for everything because that's exhausting and it's not valuable or like, articulate.
0: like, it's just, it's not sincere. Well, it's funny you say that because that's the one thing I don't agree with grandpa on. And that's what you're saying right now of like the, that you can be, okay, it's not exactly what you're saying, but the solidarity. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just so you know, everyone, the new thing is like, if you're silent, you've chosen the side of like Mm -hmm. the oppressor. And I don't think that's true. I think it's comes down to kind of more of what you're saying. Like, I don't think that's, I think that statement is too blanket. And I know that I'm not saying that's what your grandmother's saying you know, so many people on social, they're like, if you don't speak out about this, this means you're not for women's rights. But many times I think people that are educated and are empaths or think before they speak, no, this isn't their place to speak on this Mm -hmm. or have nothing to say that they think will add to this. What's being said in the media. Does that
2: make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So I think two things. It makes sense. And I'm I'm like I'm an empath. So I'm there with like I'm not going to just like say to say. Also, I did hear that only yeah, narcissists say but that yeah. they're empaths. I said, I, I heard once that only narcissists say they're empaths. So I'm like, every time I say it, I'm like,
0: Ugh. <laughs> I don't think that's true. That's so funny. But I, I I've read that, said, that too, but I don't think that's true.
2: I'm Like, oh God, what does this mean? I think a, when we think about like the way that he said it and the, and the context of when he said it, like he was a global figure speaking about a very horrendous thing, apartheid and then also applying right. it to Others like you know, he's he's saying it to the world who is completely silent at a time about what's happening in South Africa and then what's happening in India and what's happening in Palestine. And so in that, like I totally think when you're silent, you are yes. on the side of the oppressor. But I also think that silence doesn't necessarily have to be like of the mouth. So I do think like there are people who are better equipped to show their solidarity with money, with right. hiring, with writing, with, you know. Right. like yeah like there are different ways and so we have gotten to a stage where we like want to know like you have to say it but like you could be saying it with your bank account and not wanting to talk about it because that that would
0: seem like virtue signaling if you were like by the way i wrote this check that's a really good point that you've just made. Say it with your bank account, not your mouth. Like I just read and you read a lot about how Leonardo DiCaprio gives to so many charities, mm-hmm. but he's not shouting it from the rooftops, like taking photos with his checks. Yeah. And you know, it's just we're in this day and age where it's like everyone has to be flashing everything they're doing, including their charity work. It's to me, it makes me think like, I don't think you'd be doing this unless you were getting a you were, photo from the cast. Yeah. yeah. Or you didn't have some kind of kickback or could say, it's like if Instagram didn't see it, did it really happen? You know, that was like, and it. I think that's just a bummer that that's where we are with a lot yeah. of nonprofit and charity, not everyone, but I think right. that Everyone feels like they have to speak on something. So you're you're right. That's not what your grandfather was talking about. It was funny because <laughs> I was like, I really agree with grandpa, and then I was like, what? No, this is not because I didn't relay it to when it was said. Because I because I mean, what I year was this? Was this like the, the 90s, the mid 90s? That quote was probably
2: honestly, it's probably 70s, 80s.
0: Oh, from then. Wow. I, I'm
2: thinking so. Like it may it have been. It in, may have been later, but I I'm not. Like, okay. don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. But okay. I imagine it was a little earlier than that.
0: When things are even worse. Yeah. It's just, that's the it's day we're, a day and age we're in. I don't know if it'll change. I, I, it's just like, I don't think everybody should be on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or, you know, we don't need like an armchair shrink politician. Right. Writer, teacher, <laughs>
2: everything. And I'm sure there's like a nice middle ground that we could and some people to. have good
0: things to say. I'm yeah. not saying like, great, if that's your thing, but some people it's just, it's just constant.
2: I think that it, what also is upsetting is when you can tell it's insincere because someone yes. feels like they're going to be asked. And it's like, would you be asked if you were like being authentic in yourself and doing all you do? And then also like, if someone asks one question, you could answer one question very articulately in a way that states like this is your value, these are your values, this is where you stand. And they can apply this to like any situation. And I think I feel like people would stop asking you. Right. But you know, it's it's that kind of like fear that people have. And so then I think they overcorrect and do like way too much because they like don't want to be asked And it's, I guess it's like the fear of like saying the wrong thing. The over-explaining. It's the over-explaining because you, like, you don't actually know, which means like you're not really interested, which is okay. We don't have to be interested in every Yeah, just you know what?
0: I can't really speak on that.
2: But I think we're like- I don't know enough. A bubble of people over-correcting. And it's just a lot.
0: I think because of also the cancel culture, which- you know, in a way you can't blame people for wanting to overcorrect themselves because everything gets so misconstrued because it becomes a sound bite, and it's just unfortunate. I hope that trend goes away.
2: This may be unpopular, but I see it more as consequence culture. Like I'm Ooh. I'm not really nervous about, and I'm not famous, but like I'm not nervous. About saying something that people are going to like end my life and get me fired for because it just like wouldn't come out of my mouth. Something could be taken out of context and I would explain the context. And if nobody wants to hear it, like nobody wants to hear it. But like that is just like not the thing I fear because then someone else is putting like way too much power in my words when I'm telling you what I meant. I guess it's because, again, we're empaths and like there is going to be thought in the things that I say. So I'm not necessarily going to be caught out saying something that could be taken so out of context. Of course, right. it's possible. I don't know. I'm just so careful with my words. You're
0: not going to be like making a rape joke at the water cooler.
2: No. And yeah. so or, it's or like... calling it high school dating habits when you're talking about rape. Like, huh? It's wait. So what? I don't. That's what Ted Cruz described it when he was in the Supreme court hearings. He said, like, we're not going to ask you about your high school dating habits, referring to the last time that we had someone come up to the ceremony who was called. Yeah. Now, see, I didn't know that. And I'm
0: not trying to speak on Ted Cruz. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Who wants to? Yeah. I just
2: try to avoid him. (laughs) But like, I don't know. And it's not to say that, like, I don't understand the, fear that people have of you know yeah. the world like coming at you yeah um, I mean maybe
0: it's more corporate culture or I think it's more that if I guess I hear what you're saying because you know yourself and you are well spoken and you're not just you don't speak carelessly you know I'm just
2: always you. considering who is going to be harmed and thinking of
0: the person in the other shoes
2: and I'm not right? exactly and I'm not the first person I'm considering being harmed I think that's what it is about cult- cancel cultures you're right. you're putting yourself in the like most important position like you're like worried that you were going to be harmed because of other people when i'm like no what are my like we're taking the agency out of the things that we do and say and mm-hmm. it's like these people are going to come after me for something i said so like have some agency and think of how your words can harm people and then you're mm-hmm. less likely to say things that are going to be harmful but we I think in the world, we're so used to like, you know, specifically white men, not mm-hmm. having to worry about how our words and actions harm people. So now this is scary time because like all of a sudden yeah. people are
0: calling you up on it. It's like the old boys club that by the way that everyone's like, well, that's a thing of the past. But then you see what's happening in Texas. I'm like, is it? Because it seems like it's still happening.
2: Like, I don't think so. I think yeah. it, it is. It I mean, maybe alive, we live, alive and well.
0: Yeah. And that's, really scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we talked about the courage and strength or maybe not so much. Well, we talked a little, when we were talking to your mom about how, when your grandfather was sick and i it sounds like you're this way too, where you just want to push through, right? You feel like you still want to show up for work, but you do want to recognize when it's time to rest. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard for women? You think, because we think we have to do everything like twice as good as men.
2: I mean, I think we do do it twice as good as we <laughs> I know, like I, cause you people know. are always
0: like, Katie, when you take a break? And I'm like, I don't, like, I'm just always yeah. working. I mean, it's,
2: it's like that, whatever that thing is called, like pretend obsolescence where like men act like they like can't do a certain thing. So then we do it for them. Cause like, we know we do it better. What's it um, called? I think it's like pretend obsolescence. Oh, I maybe there's like definitely a phrase where it's like a man would be like, oh, but I can't do it as well as you. So I then, can't make like, the bed. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: make the bed don't get me yeah, well, my, you know, it's true. like some men i know like they don't know it's not even make the bed they don't know how to put the fitted sheet on the bottom oh. sheet yeah
2: so it's like that thing it's never like okay well i'm just gonna do it i think it has like it has to be something where we just like feel like we need to take care of people. And like with me, it's like, oh my God, I definitely know what they need. Like I'm, I got it. I can like, I can handle this. I know what they need. Like
0: I get impatient and I'm just like, I'd rather do this or we're going to be here all day.
2: Cause it's going to be done right.
0: Yeah. That that's for me where I'm like, Mm -hmm. I can't with this. So let me do that. And my mom is the same way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, I did, I did laundry. My mom called me and told me that my grandfather passed and I did laundry at 1 a.m. And my husband was like, why don't you try and sleep? And I was like, no, 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 we're going to need clothes. (laughs) We're going Mm -hmm. on a trip. We need clothes. And like listening back to that, I'm like, okay, that sounds wild. Didn't need to do laundry. Laundry could have gotten done like in the daytime hours, but it was just, I don't know. I just wanted to be like prepared. Pre- and maybe that's what it is. Maybe women like always want to be prepared sort of like for the worst. And so that you can like be there for the ones that you love. Well, also because- you just
0: probably needed to physically do something, right? Mm-hmm. And it's 1 a.m. What are you going to like go outside for a jog or go to Barry's boot camp? <laughs> like, I don't, you know, like, I don't know what the hours are there, but yeah. you know, like sometimes when you're feeling so emotional, I know for me, like physical helped, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't know, solve the problem just sitting in a chair. So right. sometimes when you really need to think things through, I feel like moving helps. Whether it's vacuuming, doing the laundry, you know, it doesn't the dishes actual, like
2: your yeah. you, like your dad? Yeah, yeah like, I think it's I think it's what my mom said about us being like socialized to like do and fix and nurture and and everything, and so then probably in grief, like all of that just like bursts out of us at once.
0: So did you feel like that came later for you? We didn't really talk about that with you. Like when in terms of your grandfather's passing, like you said, I, you know, you did the lot, la- you were doing the laundry and then you guys had, you know, you obviously had to go on the trip and then you're with everyone. And like your mom said, there's so much sort of media people there for really what we were just talking about, their own platforms, right? their own agendas and not really to mourn the, the passing of your grandfather.
2: I think that I sort of tried to Hold my morning until I got back to the States because a, I wanted to be there for my mom. Mm-hmm. And because as an empath, I felt like I was feeling everyone's mourning and everything. I, mm-hmm. I, I wrote an article about it in the article. I said, like, this is the first time someone has died. And I, I didn't have to tell anyone. It, everyone, yes, just I read knew. that article. And so it just like, like the world knew. Yeah. So my phone had just like been blown up. Mm -hmm. and I just you know I was like trying to go back and forth between like here for my mom and for my family and then also like responding to people because like this sounds wild but like I was like oh my god it's so rude that I've literally left these messages for like a week it's like no it's okay you you can leave messages unread for a little while while you're like in
0: the thick of you know someone's death you're an Aries right I am yeah, I and mean, that's an Aries thing. I can leave a message on like on unread for like a year. I'm an Aquarius.
2: I mean I try and then I will have people like hello. And I'm like, yeah.
0: Because oh. they know you come through. You know what I mean? That you're Yeah. So you didn't feel really like similar to your mom until you got back home.
2: Yeah. I got home and was like, okay, now I can have some quiet to right. myself and then like and, and properly mourn and, and like talk to my therapist and like really mm. like sit and figure out like all of these like conflicting emotions and like just everything that has happened. And, you know, am I upset with people that I could tell were clearly here for like one reason instead of like to help. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like, well, do you want to spend your energy on that? Like we talked about, or do you just want to say, I can't change that now and like move forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, really that's just a testament to like how major your grandfather was. They're not here for so-and-so. Passing away, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, so I'm glad that you're able to put the energy where you need to because I think that's hard for some people. I mean, just get I, too emotional or too yeah. angry, or they haven't had the right sort of therapy to get the tools to sort of think, okay, well, this is this person and that's not me. And, you know, the differentiating. And that's, I mean,
2: I think therapy has been super helpful. And also, I love to talk to a good medium or two.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. That's so, cool.
2: That's always how I'm like, oh, really interesting. Okay. Yeah. How, now, how long have you been in therapy? I think the first time I ever started when I was like twelve, but on okay. and off. Um, but I've been in it. I think for the last
0: year now. And so. you found it really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean,
2: I think we. I
0: think everyone needs a
2: therapist. Like, obviously, our therapists need therapists. Like, I think everyone would be so much better off if we knew how to communicate what was like happening inside of us
0: Mm -hmm. you know it's true and many people don't so i always encourage therapy and it it can be different for different people it doesn't have to be a psychiatrist it can be a life coach it can be you know maybe a mentor you know there's different spiritual
2: advisor yeah, like yoga whatever
0: like something where that becomes your therapy like it doesn't have to be talk therapy right i mean i find that very helpful but not everyone does Oh, I didn't ask your mom this. I wanted to ask both of you this because I just saw this yesterday that you guys are both fans of Midsummer Murders. No, I'm not. But we like. Oh, is we this both, your mom? Ma- just your mom? She,
2: she definitely. Well, we both like like really like we like English murder mysteries. This but is I've my never dream. watched
0: Midsummer Murders. you never have?
2: She, no, I'm like on like Morse and Vera and like Shetland and all of those. Okay,
0: because I've literally seen every British crime show you could ever mention.
2: Okay, what's the favorite?
0: I mean Luther but it's dark
2: that's what yeah that's too dark for is me. that too
0: dark so you're more yeah. like murder she wrote a little you need a little like
2: I like like a nice you know like Morse like it's always wrapped up at the end it's not like necessarily like like psychotic not right. necessarily like serial killer like it's just people who like snap. okay
0: I have I can't think of the name of this everyone made fun of me and sees two women that like one of them was an archaeologist and the other one was just running a cafe and they, they decide to become detectives it's amazing
2: I think I probably seen it all, like Brit Box or
0: something. Y- yes, Brit Box. You probably have. And literally, like Danny and my mom and I were like, "Katie, this is the worst show of all time." <laughs> I was like, "This show is amazing. Leave me alone," because it's just, you know, it's like exactly what you're talking about. Yep, I'll find I like, it. I
2: like it wrapped. Up. I'll tell her that you like Midsummer Murder stuff.
0: I mean, there's so many episodes because I th- I thought this was both of you. um Because someone well, it- may have to watch it because I've just finished a few. So. Like right. I may have to start with that. It's, I mean, there are, I mean, it spans over like, I feel like 30 years. Like there's so many different detectives. Oh it's a really, you may not want to start way at the beginning because you may be like- Because it's
2: like very old. old you're just going to be record, like, what okay. is
0: this? I mean, I kind of like that. It's, some people are like, my friends will be like, Katie, this is literally like on a VHS tape. <laughs> like, why are we watching this? <laughs> All right. So we always end with like five- questions sort of like our okay. rapid fire the first one I really already asked you but so number one what do you do for a mental break
2: reality television real housewives
0: okay which housewives is your favorite
2: one that I always re-watch is New York because they're just like insane
0: yeah when is the last time you cried
2: oh my god like two weeks ago I hate crying you do it makes me so uncomfortable I like cry more about the fact that I was just crying
0: what are you currently reading
2: one thing called one by one by ruth ware and the vanishing half by brit bennett
0: oh i heard that's really good okay are you someone that reads like two books at one or like i feel like you're probably someone that's reading a bunch of things at once but actually i tried to i tried to
2: yeah
0: what is the best and worst advice you've been given
2: worst advice someone told me to go to law school but i didn't want to become a lawyer so that was just real off best advice I think it's from my mom. When I was younger, I used to always keep like all my emotions inside, still kind of do, but she once said, I love metaphors. And she said, don't be a vacuum cleaner, be a washing machine. So a vacuum cleaner just sucks it yeah. out and holds She's it. The and washing machine like works through the dirt and then like releases it once it's like figured it out. And I've like used that a lot to try and like remind myself when I'm like in the middle of something.
0: Yeah, that's great. What Instagram account do you find uplifting, if any? Or is there somewhere you go to a website or something online that you like, oh, I feel better after seeing this?
2: I've been bad on Instagram lately, but probably anything that has to do with like African cats, like I like leopards Um, and my, like I just think they're so beautiful. And we love going on like game drives. So like just anything that like someone has just gone on a game drive and like found the leopard that's been like hiding for weeks or
0: something, I love those all right well i mean that's really it well thank so, you for having me yes thank you and where can our um listeners find you yes yeah, so
2: my instagram is Mungi m-u-n-g-i period ingomane n-g-o-m-a-n-e but i have been really bad at that lately hopefully i'll get better and then my website is the same mungi.co
0: Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better, How About You? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.